cave systems in Kentucky connect from one side of the state all the way to the other, and it's one of the biggest in the world, and there's still so much of it that's not even explored. And you gotta think, you know, when you're in these caves and stuff like that, and you see those tunnels that just lead down to nowhere and shine a light back in there, it's just pitch-ass black and you can't see stuff, and you never know what's down there, man. And the Appalachian Mountain Range, which is what we're at the foothill of here in eastern Kentucky, that mountain range is the oldest in the world. I mean, yeah, there could be something fucking mythical and ancient as hell down there, and you never know. And so it scares the shit out of me, you know? (laughs) And I don't really like to believe in all that paranormal shit, but then again, this whole fucking reality that we live in could be made up as hell. So why not explore every range of it that you can? Yeah, it's just right down there. Oh, that is the stream? Yeah. Okay. All the filtration ponds just keep going down. Yeah. And so you have one small one over here. Over here, there's a giant rock wall. It's made up of uh, stones that they pull, they pulled in. And then on top of that, there's an even bigger filtration pond. Those going downstream on this side, there's a huge one on the right towards the other mines. And then down below it, they filter into the bigger ponds. And then at the bottom of the hollow, there's like two huge ponds. How much does that actually catch throughout, like, before it joins the, like, whatever river is out here? Uh, it'll join the Cumberland. Okay. Yeah, so all this just filters down from the hills, and there's natural springs all throughout here. That's... Feeding it here, yeah. Are these iron pilings from the mine? This was the mine wall to keep up from the carts rolling down the hill. Yeah, yeah. I think they actually pull a lot of iron out of these mines. Can we get close to it, or is it like... Yeah, Nathan, we gotta go around. You can come up right here and get pretty close to it, but it's all marshy. And then you can see the entrance. You can go right out here. There's one more shelf, but I think it might be underwater right now. This is good right here, man. You can see that... uh, you, you might be able to see in there, but dead center of this hole is where one of the poles are, the wooden poles that used to hold up the ceiling. Yeah. And then, like I said, this was the top of the hill right the ridge, and then you would have had your mouth, which would have came out to about right here, and it would have been about 15 feet higher. And then they they blown all this out with dynamite, and then pushed all the dirt over here at one point in time. I'm on the edge of the Daniel Boone National Forest in the Mount Victory area of Pulaski County, Kentucky. Josh Van Hook, 
a former Marine turned outdoor guide and owner of Kentucky Adventure Group, is guiding me and a group of artists, researchers, and seekers to an abandoned mine that holds a great deal of significance and a mystery that we stumbled upon a couple years ago. We've come here to place a monument, a six-foot-tall pyramid of mirrors, enclosing a shortwave AM-FM transmitter to commemorate this place as the center of the Penny Royal Mystery. There was something in this area of Pulaski County, in the heart of Kentucky, that had both drawn people here for decades, maybe even centuries. Something that was also broadcasting a signal or current with an unknown purpose that we wanted to understand. Following that signal led us to this place. The entire area is pockmarked with mines and caves. The Sloan's Valley Cave System that runs beneath much of this area is the 13th largest cave system in the U.S., stretching more than 24 miles of twisty, maze-like passages. When I began this project more than two years ago, my intention was to investigate how people affect a place and how that place in turn affects the people that live there. No doubt they define each other in subtle ways, but I wanted to really look at what place really is and why some places, places like the Penny Royal, seem to be so strange. One of the initial people I spoke with was Chris Harris, a reporter for the Commonwealth Journal, the local newspaper for Somerset and Pulaski County. And, and you know, it's not just this region, but, you know, that's what's... I've, I've heard all these things, and I'm sure you have too, about, uh, I mean, Kentucky in general is just sort of like that. You know, it's this weird place that has had this weird vibe ever since, you know, even before... Uh, you know, even before it was colonized and uh, with what we have with the mammoth cave system and it being as massive and as weird as it is, I mean, it's a thing not just for Pulaski, but really this whole region. The Penny Royal is a region that stretches from Kentucky Lake and the city of Hopkinsville across southern Kentucky to the Appalachian Plateau and the foothills of the ancient Appalachian Mountains in the east and north to the rolling farmland of the Bluegrass region. In terms of geological features, the Penny Royal is also a karst region, largely composed of capped sandstone. As the sandstone weathers, it reduces down to tiny grains of subgranular quartz. The Penny Royal has a unique and deep relationship with quartz as well. The official state rock of Kentucky is agate, which is a specific variety of quartz geode. The streams and caves throughout this region are filled with quartzite and quartz geodes. Wade into any stream that feeds into Lake Cumberland here in Pulaski County, and you'll discover hundreds of round geodes at your feet, smoothed by the flowing water. And of course, the karst landscape that proliferates the Penny Royal is also home to the Mammoth Cave System, the longest cave system in the world, comprised of more than 400 miles of tunnels and caverns. The cave system stretches eastward beneath the Penny Royal toward the Sloan's Valley Cave System here in Pulaski County. Over millions of years, the familiar sinkholes of the karst landscape allowed rainwater to penetrate the thick sandstone cap that forms the surface of much of Kentucky's Penny Royal region, flowing and carving out a honeycomb of subterranean passageways, rooms, and amphitheaters 
dotted with stalactites, stalagmites, and massive columns. There are strange things lurking beneath the Pennyroyal and throughout Kentucky, from Mammoth Cave at the western reaches to the Sloan's Valley Caves beneath Pulaski County, and further east to Elkhorn City in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. There's a subterranean current at work, something using the mines and caves and tunnels to twist and curl and entangle like some dark tentacles. It sounds very much like the amazing and controversial stories recounted by Richard Shaver in the 1940s and 1950s. Stories about ancient, advanced civilizations that once existed on the surface of Earth, but who were forced to flee beneath the surface into vast caves and caverns around the world. According to Shaver, these civilizations had developed technology far surpassing our own. Some of the descendants of these civilizations were left behind when they fled underground to avoid some great cataclysm, and these descendants eventually degenerated into the Darrow and Taro, savage creatures that would sometimes venture from their caves to kidnap unsuspecting humans. I spoke with Stephen Snyder, a parapolitical researcher who runs the blog Visip, about the history of the Shaver mystery and its possible connection to the caves and caverns beneath Alaska County and Kentucky. The Shaver mysteries were allegedly the product of a Mr. Uh, Richard Shaver. Um, they were initially published in 1945 in Amazing Stories uh, under the name of Isla Member Lemorio. Uh, they would, of course, have a lasting influence on bringing a lot of the concepts of the hollow earth and being incorporated into the uh, Lemurian, you know, kind of mythos surrounding that, that it had uh, grown out of theosophy going back to the right 19th, early 20th century and that type of thing. And, of course, this is where the Daros were introduced um you know you have the whole adventures going down into the caves and that type of thing uh the really interesting thing of course is that they were published by amazing stories and uh specifically the involvement of uh raymond palmer the uh, longtime editor of that who of course would later become such a major figure in the ufo mythos that would develop uh you know just about two or three years later palmer there's been a lot of speculation for years as to whether or not he was actually the one who had uh written the bulk of these stories. He's, of course, uh, confessed to at least editing them and making them into a somewhat more readable account, so to speak, um, which is certainly interesting, given you know, the later role that he would play in shaping the UFO mythos as well. So you've got Palmer involved in this. Uh, this is really sort of the start of a lot of this you know, underground cave stuff that would become so prevalent uh, going into the second half of the 20th century and, of course, uh, really laid the foundation for a lot of the Hellier stuff that, uh, you know, has become such a major pop culture phenomenon now. Caves and mines aren't the only subterranean spaces beneath the Pennyroyal, and we discovered during our investigation that Somerset, Kentucky is crisscrossed by a network of underground tunnel systems, some connected and others independent of one another. Most of these can be traced back to the creation and development of fallout shelters during the Cold War era. I spoke with local radio DJ and historian Rod Zimmerman about the tunnels he knew of beneath Somerset. Late 60s, early 70s. You used to see these uh, uh, fallout. uh, It it was like a, a poster on buildings that were places you would go 
for shelter in case of a nuclear attack, whatever. And there was this big yellow and black, like a bullseye, whatever, on what's now Citizens Bank on the, not, not the main citizens on the corner, but the citizens that used to be United. It, it was a, a store, a department store. And it was uh, two stories with a basement. And it was one of the only stores in town that had an elevator. And I used to love to sneak and ride the elevator because it was something cool. You know, there wasn't any building in Somerset over three floors. Why would you need an elevator? But uh, it it had a, a basement. And somewhere in the basement was part of this fallout shelter. And I always assumed that that wouldn't be just the only place for the townsfolk to go there had to be other connections there's um there's an intricate tunnel system at oakwood there are also a number of tunnels beneath the town whose origins are unknown there are rumors that some of these tunnels were part of the underground railroad and constructed prior to the civil war there are other rumors that some of these tunnels have a stranger history possibly built by freemasons when this town was first founded and its original buildings constructed Josh Van Hook's grandfather was a firefighter who remembers some of these tunnels, but never found out what they were used for. Like I was saying, my grandpa moved down. He grew up in Casey County. That's where we met my grandma, you know, high school lovers. Uh, They moved to Ohio for work uh, and support the kids and stuff like that. And then when they moved back down here, my grandpa got on with the city and started working the fire department stuff and became fire chief eventually and that was around like 67 i think he told me 64 67 somewhere in there when they moved back down and when he first moved back down well first moved to somerset for the first time the firehouse was underground but he said in the back of that firehouse uh was like underground passages into like tunnels underneath the city and stuff and it was right there at first and farmers and like he said it cut diagonally to something i just can't remember where he said it went to they said before he got on like full time with the city they were already demolishing this and building the new firehouse so he never got to actually go in there and look at them were there dark things happening in the tunnels beneath somerset were strange groups or even strange creatures using these spaces and passages to carry out their unseen plots the Eleusinian Mysteries, the beginning of the tradition of mystery cults and secret societies, conducted their rites and transmissions of secrets in the dark recesses of caves within the earth, and in the tunnels beneath the cities that laid the foundations for modern civilization. Some argue that these groups continue to operate beneath the surface of society, both literally and figuratively. But this story doesn't begin with what might be lurking beneath Somerset. This story begins with meteors. On April the 19th, 1919, a very rare meteorite called the Lake Cumberland Meteor fell on the Pennyroyal in the vicinity of Pulaski County. According to the Kentucky Geological Survey, the meteor produced a sound that was heard by witnesses from Tennessee through central Kentucky. A 54-pound fragment was recovered in Whitley County near Cumberland Falls. Arthur M. Miller of the Department of Geology at the University of Kentucky 
wrote an article in 1919 that gives a detailed description. On April 9 last, a brilliant meteor was seen at midday to fall in a northwesterly direction across northeastern Tennessee. Though the sun was shining in this section, observers described the light from the meteor as exceeding the sun in brightness. Passing over southeastern Kentucky, where the sky was obscured by clouds, the meteor made its presence known by violent detonations, accompanied by the spalling off of fragments. The first of these fell near the Sawyer Post Office, not far from the Falls of the Cumberland. The concussions produced by the bolide were terrific, causing buildings to rock and producing the impression on some that the region was being visited by an earthquake. The first news of the phenomena printed in the local newspapers so recorded it. Realizing that the detonations heard and shocks felt were due to the concussions produced by a falling meteorite, the writer, through the medium of these local papers, has succeeded in determining the path of the meteor and has secured a number of the fragments. An interesting incident in this connection is the record of the progress of the meteor kept by the telegraph and telephone operators in the railroad stations and signal towers. They actually put it on a schedule something like an extra and heralded to operators ahead the arrival opposite them to the east of this mysterious visitor. Associate producer Darian West thinks he may have discovered the location of the crater where the larger portion of the Lake Cumberland meteor crashed. So Mike and I went down to um, to look for the meteor, the crater, right? So um, there, there are records of a few sightings of the the meteorite that the Cumberland Falls meteorite, right? Uh, they were mostly from fire towers, one in Danville, one down way down in Tennessee. And then uh, I can't remember where the other, maybe West Virginia or somewhere. And there were, so there are, it's recorded to the minute that the sound was heard and like what was seen. Right. Um, The, so basically triangulating that that's how they realized it was probably a common falls. And some of the pieces that were found hit the rim of the, the Canyon or whatever that divides come on falls. And so uh, there, this is what's interesting. So um, the pieces that fell, there were some pieces that fell into a yard, right? And it was the postmaster of the Sawyer uh, post office, right? And he had a farm uh, that was near the Sawyer post office. And if you look on the, on Google earth, where I had thought that there was a crater where there was like a ring, that's like right below the river across from the mines, across from the Guterman mines in McCre- on the McCray County side. There is a, um, it's looks like almost a squarish ring of trees on Google earth. And if you look on the 3d view, it's sort of, it's concave. So it looks like it's, you know, carved out. And so that's where I thought it was. Well, after we got access to the newspaper archives, I found the person's farm the, the postmaster's farm that this fell on. Right. And it's, it's not even, it's a few hundred feet from his farm in the same line that the, of the trajectory of the, of the thing. Right. So we went to try to, because it was in Sawyer, which is like the worst or the most, um, 
rural part of McCray County. I, I didn't want to go down there near anyone's houses and try to like uh, mess around. So there are roads from the Tateville side that bring you kind of close. And we're going to walk a mile through the woods, right? What the, the, the strange thing about it is that, so when you're there, it's a sloping hill, right? So it's just, and you're in the woods and a, you see that earthen ring, but it doesn't make, it's not like it hit in the top of the mountain straight down, which a perfect ring. It's a ring that it compressed out from the slope of the mountain, right? So the bottom side filled with water, I guess. And so there's channels cut through it. When we first saw the, the like cuts through it, it looks like human bodies shallow buried in the woods. That's what it looks like. Cause there's, it's just like, like, you know, it's about that high. And I was like, maybe, you know, Mike was like, maybe these are Indian burials, but the native Americans in this region, all buried with rocks, uh, and then covered it with earth or something. So we, we did stick, um, like sticks down in, I have pictures of like us sticking sticks down in these, these mounds. There, there's nothing in them. It's salt. Yeah. Well, yeah, I should have. Yeah. We're going to go back though and take a metal detector. So Harbor Freight has metal detectors for 50 bucks. We're taking metal detectors down there and trying to find if we could find a fragment, then that would confirm it. But even on satellite pictures from the seventies, it is, there's nothing there. It's exposed earth. Right. And so um, it still shocks me that something that could be seen all the way down in the Smokies or wherever wouldn't have caused a fire that that guy noticed, you know, but it's 1919 and who knows, you know, I mean, who knows what was going on? Kentucky has a long history of strange things falling out of the sky, the most famous of which being the Kentucky meat shower that occurred in March 1876. Kyle Cadell, associate producer for this show and director of the International Paranormal Museum and Research Center here in Somerset, knows that story well. March 3rd. 1876, out in Olympia Springs, Kentucky. Olympia Springs now is about halfway between Winchester and Moorhead, about uh, probably 15 minutes off the main highway there. Uh, But there was this family, 1876, Mary Crouch is outside making soap, and her husband, Alan, is outside as well doing something. I don't... That's lost to time. Um... But while uh, Mary's out there making soap, she sees out in her yard on her property this substance falling from the sky. She runs over to look at the substance, uh, gets Alan's attention. They both go, and they see what they call meat falling from the sky. Now, it's they said it's raining meat. Uh, there's about 100 foot by 50 foot uh, like square, uh, squarish area where it just rained meat for a little bit. Uh, and to direct quotes from them are that there were pieces that were delicate shreds as light as a snowflake. And then there's also been pieces that were a solid lump, three inches square. And then apparently giant chunks as well. Uh, pieces, I think, three times as big as that. And so... Uh, depending on the different reports, this meat f- meat shower lasted, lasted somewhere between uh, like two and ten minutes, and 
they had like there was no physical clues to what happened. Uh, Mary and Alan were the only actual eyewitnesses that saw the stuff falling from the sky and they see it uh their cat they have an outside cat immediately runs over and starts eating some of it which is disgusting you know but uh (laughs) runs over starts eating it and they can't figure out what the hell this is and shortly after that they have two uh friends i assume they're neighbors or something come to their house uh this gets to be a huge story but uh immediately afterwards uh they had two people come over uh and they just said yeah like told them the whole story one of the guys eats <laughs> some of this meat that just you know mysteriously fell from heaven and said that it tastes like mutton so <laughs> they probably ate a lot of mutton back then like a lot more sheep you know um and so they save some pieces of it the very next day of it they save it also in glycerin which is not a very good uh preservation liquid um obviously like formaldehyde would be best they don't have formaldehyde um rubbing alcohol something like that but so they save some of these pieces in glycerin they take them inside uh the next day it all starts spoiling immediately um that like all of it that they left outside it gets into the newspaper and it becomes this nationwide frenzy back in 1876. Uh, several people come and look at it and try to come up with theories. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> so 1876, they don't know about much, uh, you know, especially space-wise at this point. And um, the first cohesive theory that they had for where this meat came from is that, well, it must, it's space meat. It, <laughs> that somewhere outside of Earth, a planet blew up and this planet was covered in creatures and beings. And the, a big chunk of the planet came and it came into our atmosphere and the meat all fell off of the asteroid. And, and so that it's a meat of alien beings. So, uh, (laughs) pretty, pretty wonderful. And then of course the other big, um, theory at the time was that it was from heaven. It was manna. It was (laughs) God, God takes care of his own, you know? So he gave this meat to the Crouches, you know? Charles Fort, author of the classic work Book of the Damned and father of so-called Fortean phenomena, collected hundreds of stories of stone falls and frog falls and sky falls from all over the world. The most well-documented sky falls of frogs and even meat occurred near Highway 39 in the vicinity of Kentucky artist Dan Dutton's farm, Dandyland. Love it, right? Yeah. Did you tell me that there were frog falls? Yeah, my mom did. My mom did. Yeah, she said that there was... Here, here. Yeah, right here. She lived just a little ways up on Campground Road, up on the other end of the road. But yeah, no, it rained frogs here. Yeah, there was a frog right here. Was that like that? When she was young, so that would have been like in the 30s or, you know, something like that. It's crazy. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. No, those things, the 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 rain, the meat rain and the frog rain were things that were many people talked about when I was a child, you know, that they had seen that and they experienced that. Well, think about how more frequent that was then. Because there are, like, mm-hmm. we think of, like, Charles Ford. In his book of the damned, right? Mm-hmm. He has hundreds of accounts of uh, 
Animal Falls, Frog Falls, Meat Falls. But now, it seems like there aren't. Okay, well just think about another thing. Think about this, one of my other weird tangents. Here on this farm, when I was a child, um, there were at least a dozen kinds of salamanders, some of them quite large. Now you'll struggle to find, I think, four kinds here, and if you can find one any longer than that, I'll be surprised. So there's a lot of things that are not here now that were around then, you know, and you might not think... You can explain the salamanders not being here by saying, okay, well, it's pesticides, herbicides, acid rain, pollution, degraded environment, not as much space, etc., whatever, that they're not here. Yeah, okay. Well, who's to say that doesn't affect rains of meat and rains of frogs, too, you know? <laughs> Who knows how all this is put together? If, in fact, it's raining frogs, what the hell is happening? Skyfalls and meteorites and anything that falls from the heavens have always held a strange reverence for humans. Indigenous tribes in Siberia have long believed that when a meteorite falls from the sky and strikes the earth, it heralds the coming of a year of strangeness. I was reminded of that story when we began production on Pennyroyal almost two years ago. At that time, in December 2018, a local man named Brian Simmons discovered what he believed to be a series of meteorites that had fallen on the roof of his house during the annual Geminid meteor shower. We were just beginning to discover some of the weirder things in the Pennyroyal mystery and the discovery of non-terrestrial rocks with an otherworldly origin on a man's roof here in Somerset made me wonder if these meteorites might be heralding a year of weirdness for us. At the time, I couldn't have known how right I was to believe that. I first read about Brian's meteorite discovery in the Commonwealth Journal, Somerset and Pulaski County's local newspaper. The headline on the front page article was, Local man makes possible out-of-this-world discovery in yard. It was the January 1st, 2019 edition, the first headline story of the new year. Chris Harris the reporter for the newspaper who wrote the article, inspected the rocks himself and took the picture that appeared on the front page of the paper. Yes, yes, I did. In fact, uh, I'm thinking that's the first time, I don't know, it was one of the first times that I actually had an in-depth conversation with Brian. Now, I've I've, uh, gotten to know him better since then, but yeah, I think that's one of the first times I've talked to him uh, substantially. Will you, do you mind doing a recap of that just a little bit and then sort of what you're like I've interviewed Brian yeah. and some other people but that's that really is like the first episode because back when I started this project in January Brian was the first person I talked to because you know it was such a wild strange story I was like this is a great entry point into why you know Somerset's so interesting but if you just like give us a recap of it and just kind of your take on everything. Well, I mean, you know, he he has that way, you know, he's a natural storyteller. He has that way of pulling you in there. Uh, so, you know, some people can just pitch a story and it, when he, when he pitches a story to you, he, he pulls you in on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was telling me about, 
you gotta come check these out. You gotta take a look at these. And uh, so he came by the office. I, I told him to come on, bring them on by. And he brings in a box, and it's got all of these. And he's like a meteorite. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've never come up to a meteorite up close. I don't know what to expect from it. Um, but he brings in a box that sort of looks like a fish tackle box, and it's got all of these uh, little chunks of rock, and sort of, sort of divided into. Um, different different cubbies in the container and uh, bagged up. And yeah, he just wanted me to take a look and he told me the story about how he heard something fall on his roof or fall out in his lawn and then he came back and there was another piece that had fallen there like a few days later and that he uh, had done a little bit of research and found out that um, th- there was some specific uh, meteor shower, I think, that had broken up over this area in particular around that time. I looked it up, and I, I did find what he was talking about as far as the NASA records of that meteor shower. But, um, yeah, and th- he just showed me the rocks, and he, he mentioned specifically that they would be very heavy. Uh, heavier, heavier than you would expect for a small rock of that size because they'd broken up into little pieces. He was right about that. You know, they they were unusually heavy for what you would expect for a rock of that size. Um, he did mention about the uh, trouble photographing them, I think. I didn't have any trouble with that. They didn't seem to disturb my camera at all. But, you know, they were interesting from the standpoint that they were colorful and, you know, unusual for what you would find for normal rocks. Just out and about, they were they were smoother and more colorful and a lot heavier when you actually held them. So I mean, it was an interesting thing. I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I think he felt like yeah, other people he had told it to didn't necessarily believe that story, but. Uh, to me, there seemed to be no reason to not think that it was as it was being presented. Um, there was very clearly something abnormal about them. They're not your garden variety rocks. <laughs> really? I mean, they really did visually look... I mean, like, they just were not... It wasn't like they were pieces of lava rocks or rocks in somebody's garden, right? Yeah, no, no, you wouldn't find these in somebody's garden. So, wait, did you have the idea, <clears throat> you mentioned that they're colorful. Did they all look consistent, like they were came from the same source, like, or was it? Uh, to, to my memory, no, I don't feel like I thought that. Um, and, I, you know, I could, I could be misremembering, I could have a Mandela effect here, but um, to me, I remember a variance in them. It was kind of surprising, actually. Well, so so for the longest while, I was like, there's no way these are actually meteorites, right? I, I, obviously, I, I didn't see them, you know? And I interviewed Brian, and Brian 
It was a great interview because Brian, you know, he's a great storyteller. His voice know? is great. And, right. And, and, uh, and it was fantastic. And, you know, we talked about, you know, the Lake Cumberland meteor, which is a really famous meteor that landed in 1919, you know. And, and there is a 54-pound core of that meteorite that landed in Pulaski County that's never been recovered, you know. And, and Brian, Brian made this great statement where he said, you know, uh, that, you know, th- think about that. Somewhere underneath the ground in Pulaski County, there is this meteorite, and it may be drawing people here. There may be this magnetism up underneath the earth, and it's drawing people to Somerset, Kentucky. It's pulling all of these people together. And I thought that was the perfect uh, you know, the, the sort of poetic way to look at the magic of Somerset. But I still was like, oh, it's probably bullshit. These are not meteorites, right? But I dug deeper. And it turns out, so that was the Geminid meteor shower, right? Right, Geminid. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and so the, the Geminid meteor shower, that meteor is actually the rarest meteorite or the rare, rarest meteor in the solar system. It's actually not a meteor, it's a comet. And it goes around the sun and when it gets near the sun, it melts and then rehardens. And it's done that millions of times, right? And and so it does drop pieces of rock during the geminid, you know, meteor shower. And we we interviewed somebody else who was hunting during that week that that shower was going on, and they were out in Mount Victory at just before sunset or sun or sunrise, and heard a series of sonic blasts coming through the atmosphere. And I looked it up, and that actually is what it sounds like when meteorites fall. And so wow. it, it's very possible that Brian is not full of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's very possible. I finally caught up with Brian a few weeks after his discovery of the rocks on his roof, and he sat down in the studio to tell me his amazing story firsthand. It was the week uh, that I was opening a show here, the week of the play, yeah. Pemberley. Yeah, yeah, Pimberley. And, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on that week, man. It was like the last day show I had done was like 14 years and nine months ago. Uh, and it was like that whole period I'd been doing film and, you know, stuff like that. But this was the first live stage production I was doing it almost 15 years. No shit, really? No shit, man, right, that right. same week, right? That that, uh, that was that weekend. That was Kimberly. that week that we leading up to it, right? Okay, so we leading up to opening night. So the opening night is that, Tuesday, that, that Thursday. So that Tuesday, I walk outside, man, and it's like two rocks on my driveway. So where do, you, where do you live? All right, I live in Somerset, Kentucky. Right. Like, so it was sort of odd because it was up by my porch. It wasn't by the road. It was by the porch. Right? So you picture it in your mind. So, and they were unique looking. So How big were they? Man, they were sort of like, all right, about big, a little bit bigger than a golf ball. Or about that big. First, I didn't think too much of it, and I was about to just throw them over in my mulch bed, right? But then it was something about when I picked it up, they were just like sort of heavy. Like, like you almost like, they looked like lava rocks. They were like lava rocks. But you have a lot of rocks, right? 
I've seen lava rocks before. Yeah. I know what a lava rock looks like, and they weren't lava rocks. So, all right, let me get back to it. So I put them on my table, right? I put them on my table up by the front. I go in the house. Everything's groovy. Come back out the next day, that Wednesday. They still there, right? All right. Thursday opening night. Like, my star's about to shine, everything. I'm on the phone that morning with an artistic director from a whole nother, like, city that's going to come to see the show. So we're talking about my return after 15 years of Star is Born again, right? And I'm on the phone with her, and I'm looking out my window, and I look up, and on my gutter screen on my roof, there is a rock, looking object sitting on my gutter screen. What would you ask yourself if you saw that? I'm like thinking, man, how in the world a rock like that get up on my roof, up on the gutter screen, man? It had to be like a big hawk or a big owl or something. Ain't no ordinary bird just putting a rock up on the roof, right? So I was like, let me go check this out. So the person's still on the phone with me. I go outside, I look. I'm like, dang. I step back a couple of steps and guess what? There's another rock further up on the roof. This rock-looking object. So I, I look down. I was like, dang. I remember the two rocks on the table. And I'm thinking, how did these rocks get on the roof? Right? These unusual-looking rocks. So I remembered. It was December like the second week of December, and it was the Gemini's meteorite shower. And I had seen a couple of little little fireball activity, not with a trail or anything like that, just a real glow. They counted if it's brighter than the, the planet of Venus, then they count it as a fireball. So I was checking it out a couple of times during that week. Didn't think anything of it. And on Tuesday, December the 18th, when I found those two rocks, there was a fireball that was witnessed for all the way from Alabama, all the way up into Ohio, 11 different eyewitnesses that witnessed a fireball that had a trail, meaning these particles that were being released off of it. And the trajectory of the fireball is accounted on American Media Society's website, and there was even an eyewitness in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. And when I put my skills to use, looking at the trajectory over the map, man, it came right over top of my house. So I'm like, these rocks are these meteorites from that trail that fell off up on my roof. So let me look along like the perimeter of my gutter to see if I see any, and lo and behold, man, I looked down, and there was another one in my mulch bed. Then I went to the other side of my roof. There was another one on the corner of my house. So I'm finding these pieces, and and then I put them under the microscope because I got a digital microscope. Man, you can tell it's not sandstone. It's like when it enters and it burns that crust, it's like a crust on it. And then another sign they said is magnetic so i got a magnet and you can feel the force of the magnets repelling on it man so i went to the reporter to the news station man, and the guy when he was trying to take pictures with his camera 
the magnetic force from them was like messing with his camera. Even at, I mean, so, you know, there are eyewitnesses to all this. I got something that goes deeper, bro. You ready for it? I'm ready, man. You ready for it? All right. So when I started doing my research on this, here's what I found. There's been a lot of media activity, media right activity in this area of the 37th parallel, man, of which it goes across my house. So check this out. In on April the 9th, 1919, April the 9th, 1919, there was a 54-pound meteorite fragment that it was eyewitness. It fell in Sawyer, Kentucky, which is in Whitley County. That was the part that was recovered. It was a 54-pound fragment. The core of the meteorite was believed to have landed in Pulaski County. It was never recovered. Somewhere, man, a meteorite bigger than 54 pounds has fallen in Pulaski County and currently resides here, man. You think about this. You see all these people being drawn to Somerset, Kentucky. What if there's a magnet that's up under the ground that, you know, is connecting with people in a way that is just drawing them here, man? It's the draw. It's the magnetism, man. It's the magnetism. Regardless of who you are, regardless of the differences or whatever, if you drawn, you drawn, baby. What Brian didn't know, and what I didn't know, is that there is something underneath the ground here in Pulaski County drawing people here. And it's been exerting a force on the people in this place for centuries. And it's been attracting events and actions that have had an effect on the U.S. and the world in ways that we could never have imagined. And that force is the Kentucky Anomaly. written and produced by your host, Nathan Paul Isaac. Associate producers are Darian West and Kyle Cadell. Original musical score by Philip Clonch. Edited and mixed by Boone Williams. Sponsored by Jarfly Brewing Company and the International Paranormal Museum and Research Center. If you're interested in joining the investigation and diving deeper into the story, visit pennyroyalpodcast.com and support the show by becoming a member of the Liminal Lodge. Thanks for listening and keep digging.